Oh, I have a tendency to stare contemplatively at the horizon or the sky. That feels kind of protagonist-y. <laughs> you do I like to do look that. at the stars. Very Jupiter-ascending yeah. of yeah. you. Oh, come on. <laughs> of all the things. <laughs> you made me watch it. <laughs> yeah, yeah you, you gave this to her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you forced this to live in my brain forever. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did do that. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. I am Blue, and I'm joined in person by Red. Yes, uh, I was just nursing a big mug of throat coat tea, uh, but it was so disgusting that I threw it out, and I replaced it with something much less disgusting, a tall glass of cold brew barely diluted with milk. I have chosen to consume neither of those things. I've got water. Smart. (laughs) Choose the form of your destroyer. We were just at a friend's wedding this weekend, and it was very, very fun. Uh, We had a blast, but we are tired. Tired. (laughs) My brain had a full reset this weekend. I barely remember what being alive feels like. (laughs) So... This is gonna be interesting. But we had uh, we had some some videos to talk about, so let's uh, let's maybe jump back to the detailed diatribe first, and then yes, go from good. there. Oh, the I, other reason why we had brain resets this week. Yeah, um, <laughs> uh, we had uh, first uh, in our in our list of two videos on our YouTube channel, or really sarcastic productions on YouTube, um, a, a video on the mythology of the game Stray Gods, mm. which was something that we kind of stumbled into. Uh, being obsessed with because <laughs> our good buddy Adam was doing a stream uh, of the game and he wanted us on. It's like, yeah, of course, that sounds great. I, I'd vaguely known that this was was in the works, um, uh, a new game from composing uh, bleh, a new game uh, composed by uh, Austin Wintory, uh, as noted in many prior episodes. Um, absolute favorite. Uh, and I was like, oh, this is cool, but it, it wasn't coming out on any of the, the systems that I had, not Switch or PlayStation. And then eventually at some point they were like, just kidding, it's on everything. I'm like, oh, okay, sweet. So then we, <laughs> we jumped on the stream and then I, I got it on my own PlayStation for funsies. Um, and we had such a great time. I was like, hey, Red, I think I think we need to make a detailed diatribe on this and kind of bump it up to the top of my queue. Yeah. So I, I just kicked a video out of the schedule slot to do this instead. And it turned out... Really damn well. I'm I'm yeah. super happy with uh, the the kind of like narrative we were able to construct and explaining how the game works and and why it's so fascinating as a Greek mythology urban fantasy murder mystery interactive musical. <laughs> There's so many words. In so it. many words to describe it. Uh, and the video turned out well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it was viewed and appreciated by uh, composer Austin Wintory, creative director David Geyer, and um, uh, team lead uh, Liam Esler. Uh, and I guess a bunch of other people at Summer Fall Games who made this thing. And that's absolutely nuts. <laughs> and was at once uh, like mildly terrifying and extremely validating. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it was so cool. Because like when we were just, you know, hanging out with Adam while he was streaming it, uh, we did notice in the in the Twitch chat of like mm-hmm. like a hundred people were watching, and one of them was Austin Wintry. Austin Wintry. <laughs> who was like this is fun. I'm glad to see you guys appreciating it. I'm in a meeting right now, but enjoy. And then, like, I checked back in, and I was like, he's still in chat. <laughs> Austin, you have a meeting. Because he was like, yeah, you know, I've, I've got stuff going on today. I can't stay for long. Just wanted to say hi. And I guess our commentary was so engaging <laughs> that he was like, actually, I'm listening to all of this. And then when we came to stream the second half of the game, next week. he came back. <laughs> so we were already like, Wow, okay, this is what? <laughs> and then I uh, started sending a couple emails back and forth to talk about like coordinating the video, asking a couple of questions. So, <laughs> friend of the channel, friend of the show, Austin Wintery <laughs> loved our detail diatribe. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I, I don't think I've ever seen you fanboy this much over a person we know. And I kept it so cool. <laughs> I played it super chill. Everything was calculated and yep. tactical. And I didn't lose my shit once. <laughs> <laughs> Publicly, except in chats to me. <laughs> oh, my but, gosh. Yeah, it was, it was super fun. He's just extremely cool um, yeah. and, and wonderful to talk to and so enthusiastic about the work, which made it so fun to chat about, like, the nuances of, of like, what's going on in the game mythologically. So he emailed us, like, I didn't even know some of these things that you were talking about, so I feel like I learned about my game from this. Oh, like, oh. That's, so, that's beautiful. Uh, not to, to puff myself up, but to... Uh, <laughs> 
um, to convey an appreciation for how much fun it was to, to talk about this game and uh, interact with the rare piece of media that is modern and the creators are present and can interact <laughs> with things digitally and can see how much we like their stuff. Yeah. Uh, Homer uh, has not watched any of our Iliad videos to my knowledge. Well, Homer's <laughs> blind, so it will be difficult anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, I mean, given that your normal cutoff is like 1990 or later, disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, I'll make an exception because it looks very polite. Yeah. Um, and so we did... You know, there was a game in there that was uh, very interesting and fun to play. Extremely cool. Uh, the, so as mentioned, it was uh, urban fantasy, Greek mythology, role-playing, musical, bunch of other stuff too. Uh, and it's it's really interesting because we, we when we when we went into it, I didn't know anything about it. The first I heard of the game existing was Adam being like, hey, reminder that we have the stream today. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, that thing that we're yeah cool and then immediately i was like how did this fly under my radar this is exactly my jam <laughs> what's going on honestly between this and like good percy jackson coming back this mm. is like the year for yeah. the Greek mythology kiddos yeah um long have we slumbered <laughs> <laughs> like a long you guys don't even know yeah jeez the uh, drought between like when the first percy jackson series ended and then this year. Yeah, yeah. Nothing, and by series, I mean the books. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Nothing has quite captured the majesty. But now everyone who read those books when they were Percy's age is now like yeah. our age, a yeah. grown-ass adult, ready to watch an, a, a tiny child experience the horrors and be like, oh, was this fucked up the whole time? <laughs> That's my favorite thing whenever I revisit. Like, there's so many pieces of media where I'm like, this is a different experience if you're a child versus an adult. Like how yeah. Coraline is like, it's a it's a scary but adventurous book if you're a kid and a horror story if you're an adult. Because mm -hmm. you're like, oh, watch this child experience the horrors while every adult in her life is powerless to stop them. Uh, Lilo and Stitch is my other favorite example. Because yeah, if you're a kid, fair. if yeah. you're a kid, you're like, aw, Lilo, Stitch is so cute. Ohana means family. And then if you're an adult, you're like, I'm sorry, is the primary antagonist of this movie fucking social services? <laughs> <laughs> is the threat Lilo and her sister being separated after their parents died? <laughs> yeah. God. Yeah, so. Yeah, Percy kills someone in chapter one of that book. Well, she's an immortal reincarnating fury so it's well, not like she stays dead yeah. and she crumbles to dust and doesn't leave a body so Fair enough. it could be way worse no immortal soul to speak of morally okay Percy's mother does murder a man in cold blood at the end of that book though yeah but he deserved it so yeah, yeah whatever but, uh, also no must no fuss just turn him into a statue <laughs> the most humane way to murder oh my god uh, speaking <laughs> of the portrayal of Medusa in Stray Gods is also fantastic oh, but I mean yeah. to, to, to circle back somewhat to the <laughs> just uh, a little to the, the thrust of the video was why we love the mythology in this game so much and I, I tried to construct it in such a way as to show why I really was captivated by this as we were playing it and to give everyone who is watching it a reason to go out and play it right now and experience experience it for themselves with a clear like halfway cutoff point in the video where it's like, <laughs> look, if this has intrigued you so far, go play it. Yep. And even still, like for someone who watches the whole video, we chose to leave a lot of things unsaid, like the core <laughs> mystery we didn't touch because that's still better if you experience it for yourselves. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, and there's even, like, going back and, and, like, subsequent playthroughs and stuff, like, understanding structurally, like, the kinds of things they do to, like, obfuscate the plot and, like, how they cast suspicion depending on which characters you ally yourself with and, like, where they throw red herrings and where it's like, oh, this is actually, like, this is a clear, like, signposting and foreshadowing of something else later. Mm -hmm. And it's just in a sea of other red herrings so you can completely miss it. Yeah. It's it's so well constructed that it still is is interesting on subsequent playthroughs where it's like, oh, wait, wait, what are they doing now? Because I'm <laughs> hanging out with this character and they're casting the suspicion in a completely different direction. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Um, and then in the end, it's still, like, you get that big number with the trial. Um, and it's it it still it still kicks ass. <laughs> I'll be a little smug because I I was getting vibes from oh, the true yeah. kill. Like, oh yeah. The thing is like this is my favorite thing because in the real world, of course, mystery solving is a very complicated scenario. Yada yada yada. But like in fiction, if you've experienced enough murder mystery media, you quickly get a feel for the tropes of the true killer, the way that the story structures itself around them. More, it's usually like the, the number one clue is like, if they get dismissed out of hand early as a suspect, 
That's usually that. It's like, oh, yeah. death on the Nile. It can't possibly have been the husband who stands to gain because he got shot in the leg by his estranged lover. Couldn't possibly be that guy. <laughs> no, siree. But we've systematically eliminated every other person on this boat. But it can't be that guy. That would just be ridiculous. It's like, are you sh- like, are you? Why are you so sure about this when you're not sure about anything else? Uh, so when we started this game, I was, I was, I was like, I think. If they do like one thing, if they if they <laughs> if they ever seriously consider the possibility that this person did it, then they didn't do it. And I just kind of kept waiting and I was like, all right, okay. Yeah. I know what's going yeah. on here. <laughs> uh, but that's half the fun cuz like even when you figure it out, it's not like, you know, it's not like a big jacuzzi moment. It's it's more like, okay, well, we think we know who did it, but like how are we going to play this because that doesn't yeah. mean we've won. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I just I so it's so well constructed, and also it's a fucking musical, it's a musical, like a modularly constructed musical that's different depending on your choices. So they composed like eighteen different musicals by volume for this thing. Yeah, <laughs> God, people scare me. Music music composition is one art form that I cannot wrap my head around in the slightest, and the people capable of it terrify me. <laughs> Which is why it was so goddamn impressive. Yeah. So we were we were thrilled to have uh, to have had the chance to to do this video and then to to be uh, receiving of of kind words from the people <laughs> who made it was uh, a very rare treat for our our line of work skewing mm-hmm. so ancient but um, was really uh, a special uh, a special experience. So we're. Uh, very glad that we had the experience of the stream and then this video because it was a, a true joy to uh, front to back to, to put this together. The number of times where we were like, oh my god, that's a really cool and subtle reference to this niche mythological thing was like, not small. So yeah. that's that's what I like. That's enrichment for me, you know? And then one of the things that I mentioned was like um, how there are little epic motifs that show up in different parts of the music. Mm. So like in Persephone's um, uh, number, it's like, you're lost, little girl. And that, I keep hearing it in so many different contexts. And there's even like in certain routes of songs you can get, uh, uh, one of the singers will, will sing a version of that for whatever context is happening in the song and the same melody is there, but the meaning will slightly shift depending on what's going on. It's and I've just found so many more of those. So like I could have listed like probably twenty uh, with how much I've caught now. But <laughs> detailed it's, I tried two. Yeah. Um, God, this is like when Sideways taught me to identify the DSE ray motif. Yeah. Now it's fucking everywhere. Seriously. That shit in Kung Fu Panda. But um, that was uh, that was a very good time. Yeah. The detailed diatribes are always a, a unique treat, but we've got. We've got tropes to talk about, Red, so uh, um, which one of us is going to get knocked out so we can go into our uh, palace in the center of the mind? Probably uh, me, statistically speaking. Um, Yeah, so the trope talk this week was the uh, (laughs) character development comas. Yet another trope that is not called that on TV tropes. Um, What's it called on TV tropes? It's not really. It's it's kind of a compilation of a few different things. Battle in the center of the mind is a TV trope. uh, conversation with the unconscious is a TV trope, but like it's all kind of bundled into this one space that I identified and wanted to unpack. Uh, it's another case where I did a video about a thing that I clocked in my own writing and then decided to start unpacking because I thought it was yeah. interesting. So like whenever I'm like, it's so easy for a writer to use this to like explore parts of the character that otherwise never see the light of day. It's like, yeah, it must be pretty comforting and, and tempting to do that <laughs> considering <laughs> you left one of your primary characters unconscious for six real world months, <laughs> you know, <laughs> whatever. But it's so easy. And the funny thing is like, it's a trope that I obviously knew existed. It was everywhere, but it was one of those things that was so ubiquitous. It was almost hard to find like specific examples for yeah. in places. Because the thing about like you knock a character out and then you can do whatever you want. It's like they're gonna wake up from in point from point A to point B. They were unconscious. They wake up somewhere else. It's the easiest thing in the world. And then if you like think about it, you're like, did they just like cart this guy? The whole like if he woke up a little, did they knock him out again? What happened? <laughs> like what's going on? Um, and uh, this shows up fucking everywhere. It's so funny. Uh, I was recently watching a video that was just like a plot summary of the entire Mortal Instruments series, just so I don't have to read them. (laughs) Because they're so aggressively not my speed, but I was just kind of curious. And the number of times that a character will just like randomly get knocked out or fall unconscious and then wake up somewhere else, I was like, yeah, see, it is everywhere. or even in Dante, <laughs> even uh, that's the thing—the the allegory maneuver. Um, but the thing is, they 
God, I, I think it was like several podcast episodes back where I mentioned I'd watched uh, like the Skull Island animated miniseries on Netflix, uh, which actually ends with this maneuver. I don't think I used it as an example, but it was so perfect uh, where it was pretty clear that like they were choreographing the final fight and then they realized they had like one fewer episodes than they thought they did. They were like, well, shit, uh, quick, make it a sequel hook. And the POV character slams her head into a tree, is knocked unconscious, wakes up in a hospital on the mainland off of Skull Island, and that's how the entire series ends and i was like see see absolutely no logistics it's like oh you were unconscious for like two weeks don't worry about it you're fine you can immediately spring out of your hospital bed with you know uh do a nice little jig and and yell about where they put your kaiju dog imagining like the dramatic moment of like like the hands start to twitch and like the character's Mm -hmm. like head rolls around like oh where am i and the nurse is like not yet boom (laughs) it's like well we haven't yet struck the set get back in (laughs) have you experienced character development yet nurse is that a hammer Answer the question. <laughs> oh man. Wrong. Whacking. <laughs> Gosh. But yeah, it's it's um it was a fun thing to unpack because again, it, it is kind of a, a a set of tropes that are sort of subdivided on TV tropes. When I when I started this series, it was very much like, let's pick a TV trope and unpack it. But you know, as I've continued, it's I, I've sort of discovered my personal preferences for like what I think is a good unit of like trope space and literature to discuss in a single video because some of them it's like I saw a few people being like I can't believe Red hasn't talked about comic relief yet and I'm like if you look at the trope of comic relief it is a mask worn by the trope of comedy (laughs) and being funny (laughs) like what the fuck am I supposed to do here's how to be funny guys like no one in the history of the human race has ever been able to figure out a way to teach other people to be funny (laughs) It's, it's like made of je ne sais quoi, but like, I don't fucking know. Anyway, so like I could, I could subdivide it. It's like, okay, here's a specific comic relief sidekick archetype or something like, like here's the mood lightener or whatever. Here's why you have Robin in Batman and Robin or something like that. Um, but it's, it's such a huge trope. Whereas this is like a story beat. This is a thing that happens. Um, there's a there's one that I just finished that uh, is also a little bit unusual. You guys will will see it in like a month or two. I genuinely don't remember when it's going up. It's been a very complicated week, uh, <laughs> but it was fun because it was <laughs> the the script for that one started as like an offhanded joke uh, where I was like talking to Magenta about I think she was watching Yu Gi Oh GX uh, and uh, I, I was like oh, cool, have they hit this beat and this beat and this beat yet? And she was like, yeah, they did this beat, but we haven't hit that beat yet. And I was like, I really know a lot about the exact plot structure (laughs) of this show that I've never watched. Okay, cool. (laughs) They just moved on. Um, But, you know, sometimes you get get, like settings that invite very specific uh, story structures. Or like in this case, the character development coma, they all basically break down into that four-step process. You know, they can be different lengths, but if you like... You know, if you just knock out a character to move them from point A to point B, you don't get the inner look at, like, what's going on, bud? How you feeling? You want to talk with your dead father figure or something? You know, as a treat? Could be nice. Um, But if you do it that way, it it all kind of is shaped the same and serves the same purpose. And I liked how many people in, in the comments were like, yeah, I like it better when they wake up and have come to a completely erroneous conclusion that's going to fuck them up for a while. I like the Anakin version of this. Yeah. I, the examples you used in this video were really great. You, of course, got the Star Wars one. You mm-hmm. have the, uh, the spectacular Spider-Man symbiote sequence, which mm-hmm. is really great. Um, a lot of good stuff from She-Ra. I was like, we should do a detailed diatribe on She-Ra. Wait, that was the second one we ever <laughs> yeah, did. Yeah, we, cool, we cool, tried. Cool. We already did that. Great. Uh, I've gotten better at video editing. It could probably actually work this time. But... <laughs> <laughs> but um, the the conclusion that you came to at the end of like, just because you have this neat bow packaged character moment in a dream does not mean you're out of the woods. No. Applying that information is very, like you can't just read a self-help book and be like, great, my life is solved. I'm fixed now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there was one example in there that I, I was a little tentative on uh, and a few people in the comments uh, basically voiced my internal like concerns about it, uh, which is uh, there's a thing in the Dragon Prince season three, where uh, the main character, Callum, who uh, is, he's like, I'm a mage because I can use this primal stone that has a storm in it so I can cast wind magic with it. And then the primal stone uh, is destroyed and he doesn't have it anymore. And it's like, well, now you can't do magic because humans can't do magic. This is the one known fact of the world. Elves can do magic, dragons can do magic, but humans can't do magic. Absolutely none of them can do magic. They can only do 
dark magic, which vampirizes the magic out of other creatures that are naturally magical. And then Callum is like, all right, it's a desperate hour. I'm going to use dark magic to free this dragon. And he does it. And then he goes into an angst coma. And when he wakes up, he can do wind magic. He can, he can just do it. He wakes up and he's like, I understand the sky arcanum. Now I'm the first ever human mage. And I was like, cool. What? Hold on. <laughs> uh, and for the thing is, Dragon Prince is one of those Netflix shows that was canceled after season three and then resurrected. It's back now. Uh, and they've done two more seasons since then. But there was a while where, like, basically that was, like, the final season. They had a big final boss fight and he could he could just, like, do wind magic. I think, I think he got that in season two, actually. And then in season three, he's like, I can just do wind magic. Everyone chill out. I'm a human mage. Don't freak out. It's just chill. I, I'm the first human ever to do it. And I was like, but what did you do, man? You had a weird dream, and you were like, I get it now. I understand aerodynamics, and that means I have magic powers. And people in comments were like, what do you mean that doesn't make sense? I was like, what do you mean? What do I... The implication that no human in the history of humanity has ever thought really hard about the concepts of the natural world that surround them, if that's all it took. And the thing is, as I was figuring this out, I was like... I have a theory for what's happening. I think I know what's happening. But the thing is, if the show had ended at season three, we would have never gotten that theory confirmed. And it would have just been, he had a weird dream and now he's a magic wizard man. He can just do it. And the theory is, if you use dark magic, it is the only way for humans to gain the ability to do elemental magic. Because he's done it twice now. And in both cases, he has immediately gained the ability to use a form of primal magic afterwards. And in season five, he does it, and then he can do water magic. He's like, I figured it out. And I'm like, did you figure it out? Or is this just dark magic again? And the thing is, if that's the explanation, I love it. Because the character implications of this guy being like, yeah, I used dark magic a couple times when I was desperate, but you know what? I'm a self-made wizard. And the implications of it being like, actually, you're fucking not. Like, yeah. you're, you're not the special magical chosen one who can just dream his way to success. If you use dark magic, you get an unallocated point in wizardry, and you've just been spending it on shit that isn't dark magic. But that doesn't make you the one special human exception to the rule. It's pretty funny. I like that better. I think it's a very interesting way to play it. But you have to remember, we had like three years where the last we'd heard of it was, he had a weird dream. He talked to his dead mom and his dead dad, and he's really fucking losing in the parents' department right now. And then he woke up and he was like, I got it. I can just do it now. <laughs> and I was, as I was watching it, I was like, yeah, that's so powerful. What a profound dream sequence. And then I thought about it for 10 minutes and I was like, no, no, I don't like what that says about the entire rest of the human race if this is all it took. <laughs> and everyone's like, yes, humans have been persecuted for their inability to do magic forever. It's been, they've been, they've been discriminated against until they were given dark magic by this evil guy. And I was like, and Nobody? <laughs> nobody? <laughs> People have built boats and nobody paid enough attention to sail aerodynamics before this kid? He gets it explained to him in the dream by a pirate he hangs out with who clearly understands sail aerodynamics. If that was it! <laughs> anyway, it's fine. But, like, that's the thing. That's what I think is so interesting about this. Because you don't immediately question that. You're like, wow, he woke up and, and I'm so relieved and he can just do it now. That's so great. What a powerful moment for him. And then it's like... Well, hold on. Wait a minute. <laughs> just, just, just slow your roll there, champ. Pause. Like, if we ignore the dream sequence, if we just look at this from the outside, it's like he falls asleep, he has a fever dream, he wakes up, and he's like, I'm a wizard now. And then he is, and it's like, um, <laughs> okay. Anyway. Just, like, imagine the real-world equivalent of that, where, like, Isaac Newton goes to bed and he wakes up, he's like, concept, calculus. <laughs> I think. Things fall down. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So so it, it was very interesting. And I, I thought it was a cool conversation that was happening in the comments where people were like, well, it was weird that you used this as an example. And I was like, was it? How much explanation did you have to do to make this make sense? <laughs> like, it's okay if there is an explanation, but the dream is not the explanation. Yeah. Um, anyway. Uh, uh, yeah. It was a good time. Mm -hmm. um, I, I enjoyed the video. I loved the, uh, I forgot exactly what moment it was, but you had a moment where you, um, showed Anakin igniting the lightsaber. I'm like, coming to the wrong conclusion. <laughs> Young Link Slayer 9000 activates. That's when I described uh, the actions that a character might take after waking up from a nightmare as morally questionable. Right. People in the comments were like, morally questionable is a real softball way of phrasing that one. Oh my god. Yeah. yeah. But um, real quick, um, only one announcement. Uh, I uh, will be at VidCon Baltimore with Indigo uh, this coming weekend from uh, from time of upload. Um, we've got a panel um, that we're moderating. Um, should be neat, but fully independent of that. Um, I will be giving a talk at the Enoch Pratt Free Library Central Branch in downtown Baltimore on Saturday at uh, 3 p.m. Uh, Baltimore time. Um, it is completely free, no ticket required. Um, it's going to be about... Uh, 
uh, historical storytelling. Um, I asked the patrons, like, say I came to your library. What would you want me to talk about? And they're like, <laughs> this. Well, yeah, okay, cool. I can, I, can, I can do that. Yeah. So, yeah, that's uh, that uh, is going to be a good time. Um, and if, if you are town, a patron, come, stay yeah. tuned uh, for the After After Show show in, like, half an hour when we're done with the q Yes. <laughs> um, if you don't already know, After After Show Show is a special bonus podcast exclusive to patrons. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 30 more minutes of us doing bullshit. Yeah. And it's uh, really fun. Once again, <laughs> we polled Patreon over like, hey, what do you guys want to hear from this? We could do like more Q&As. We could do more lightning rounds. We could just do unstructured bullshit. And they were like, unstructured bullshit, please. And we're like, great, <laughs> unstructured bullshit it is. So, yeah. yeah. But uh, before then, we've got to move over to the Q&A portion of the podcast. Yeah. Hello and welcome to the Q&A portion of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast, where we answer your questions from Ask OS Pod on Discord. This first question comes from one of our lovely patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, support the channel, and potentially have your question featured first on a future episode, uh, consider becoming a patron. I also did a lot of things this weekend, and I'm also very tired. Uh, but this, <laughs> this question is from someone this who's presumably not tired. Uh, this comes from Stalwart. To Blue, if you were to gift the OSP crew a Lego set that you knew they would build and enjoy, what set would you give them? Besides giving Indigo the entire Bionicle line, because we all know that's her absolute favorite. This is a lies and slander. But sure. if you were to give uh, me and Red Lego sets, what Lego sets would you want? You think you think we'd have a good time with? That's a that's a good question. I'll need to uh, dig into my Mind Palace Lego catalog <laughs> to figure that out. Um, I do not actually have an encyclopedic knowledge of Lego sets. Ah, <laughs> uh, jeez. I'll be honest. That Lego Monkey Kid giant robot set I saw that one time, it's pretty fun. <laughs> they have, uh, as, as part of the Monkey Kid line, they have, I think they actually have, like, the the Thunderclap Mountain something or other. Ooh. Or, like, some, like, Monkey's Mountain that he hangs Okay, at. so it could either be the Thunderclap Monastery or Flower Fruit Mountain. I think they have a Flower Fruit Mountain. That could be gorgeous. I, I might be making that up. I don't pay attention to the monkey kid line too much, but I, I feel like I've seen that there's a, a flower fruit mountain. The impression I get is that the monkey kid tie-in Legos are probably the least interesting thing about Lego Monkey Kid. Uh, yeah. Which is, you know, <laughs> all over my heart to that show. I'll watch it someday. And oh, for Indigo, what would be... Probably those, like, like bonsai trees or the flowers, right? I have bonsai a bonsai tree, tree already. I should Botanical set I have the bonsai tree, and uh, they have a lot of, like, 10 to $15, like, one type of flower sets that I've slowly started collecting over the last year or bonsai so. Bonsai tree, too. There's, the, there's the succulent set higher. that's mm. pretty good. I feel like pretty you might good? enjoy that. It's oh, like a, a handful geez. of, like, six or seven different ones that you can, like, organize in, in different ways. You can kind of click the bases mm-hmm. together. I bought one of those little, like little plastic pouches of like five Lego pieces at Target just to make a little Y-Wing or X-Wing from Star Wars and that's just sitting on my table. That's yeah. I, I saw the uh, the news that there's the the huge like UCS special fuck you edition of the Venator class Republic Star Destroyer. Oh my God. Um, which is <laughs> like $700, like 5,000 pieces. Absolutely not. Um, and then I was like, there's a polybag Venator Star Destroyer that's like, 25 pieces and costs $5. I'm like, yep. maybe I get myself that one. <laughs> you know the bit in um, Spider-Man uh, Homecoming where uh, he accidentally reveals his identity to Ned while Ned is holding the Lego Star Destroyer and yeah, it like, rolls Star. out of his... Yeah, sorry, the yeah. Lego Death Star rolls out of his hand and shatters. I was wondering, like, how many takes did they get? And how many fully how many built fully Lego, built Star, Star, Lego Star Destroyer sets have? did the production design team between the highest... How many... PAs had to spend their whole day building the Lego Star Destroyer in order to get yeah. that scene. I almost wonder if they just like did like uh, just the outer shell and then filled the interior with mm, loose Legos so it would know. break more effectively. I think that I remember hearing that they had to do it differently. That it doesn't. It's actually well built enough that it doesn't shatter quite that thoroughly. Ah. And this is this is maybe a different conversation. But like in terms of the scale of effects and what's impressive to see, like destruction physics rendered on a computer is like okay, whatever. That's like you know mm. a couple hundred clicks. Like sure. Yeah. But to have like the mental context. For like, this is a Lego set that I understand like the approximate size and scale of knowing mm-hmm. that someone or a handful of someone's had to build like five or six of these for different takes. Yeah. That is more impressive than any of the destruction physics at like fucking Coney Island they do on a green screen <laughs> at the end of that movie. <laughs> One of my favorite things about watching TV or movies 
with people who know way more than me about very specific fields is when they'll be like, oh my god, that one tiny detail is so impressive. Like, how did they make these two characters cross in front of each other? That's the same actor acting as the same character. How did they do that? And I'm like, oh yeah, what? What? <laughs> or like in fucking Terminator 2, there's a bit where like they're poking around in the Terminator's like Cybertronic brain and they're like shooting that from the back while the conversation is happening in a mirror in front of them. And I was like, yeah, whatever. And then it's like Linda Hamilton has an identical twin sister who they used to shoot this scene from the back with an Arnold dummy while Arnold and Linda Hamilton are standing on the other side of that mirror that is a mirror and doing the scene. I was like, fuck, what? Okay. So Terminator yeah. 2 also you know, has you don't one question. of my... Um favorite uh sound nerd fun facts of like something that we talked about as a principal in sound design when i was taking classes on it in college is like how do you make something sound really good not just like mm -hmm. you could put it you could put a gunshot sound effect in anything but we use terminator 2 of an example of like actually you should put like seven to eight different gunshot sounds together layered to create one gunshot sound so whenever they Ooh. do like a shotgun shot in that movie it's like there's like if you look at the tracks for that sound effect it's like eight tracks deep just to make the one sound effect sound so much better and deeper and richer and realer. Um, that explains why it's so meaty sounding. That's why it's so meaty sounding. That good sound effects are actually like eight different sound effects in a trench coat. That's that's the secret behind movie sounds. I actually yeah. like independently discovered this yesterday when I was doing a little bit of sound editing where I had like like a stamp effect I was using and it had like four different stamps in like one little like 20 second sound file. Mm -hmm. And I took one and I layered it and I'm like, Okay, then I took the second one, put it underneath, synced them up, and then like dipped the audio a little bit so it's the same volume. I'm like, mm -hmm. oh my god, this sounds so much better. What the <laughs> fuck? Yeah. The secret to simple sound effects sounding good is actually that they're secretly incredibly, incredibly complex underneath it all. But it's like the thing: movie making, practical effects, sound design, production design. These are all things that the more the more you look at them, the the more complicated they get. And I think that that's awesome. Uh, yes. Similar, you know, VFX has similar principles and theories. I'm just a little less familiar with them, but. Uh, yeah, no, you guys. It's are like when I'm watching an animated movie. I the thing is, like, as a visual artist, you'd think I'd be better at this, but like, I have to purposefully switch on my like animation brain and pay attention to how complicated the animation is, so that I can appreciate like that's a really fucking complicated thing to animate. Like <laughs> a person who's like talking while they move their head from like mm. one angle to the other, mm -hmm. that's hard to make look right, and I just don't notice it most of the time. Yeah. Or like, um, all of the stuff that like, uh, is, is it, is it. Dan Baxter, he's like this incredibly good animator to the point where he's kind of a legend in the field. Uh, and they named a horse in Adventure Time after him and he animated that horse. So That's whenever amazing. the horse shows, I think he also voiced the horse and the horse only says his own name, Dan Baxter. Uh, and whenever the horse shows up, it's animated by Dan Baxter and he's way more fluid. But like, uh, like uh, he did a lot of the key shots in Hunchback of Notre Dame, whenever Quasimodo looks like oh, wow. really weighty or like really Ooh. mournful or something like that. That's that. Um, yeah, uh, and he did that one shot in Steven Universe when when Steven and Pink Steven fuse back into Steven, and it's like this really like fluid motion where he's like hugging himself. There's like this specific if you saw it you'd recognize it like he does a lot of like slow raise of the shoulders and then kind of collapse into something quasimodo does this all the time oh uh, yeah i can That's i can a, picture it yeah, in my mind exactly. right now uh, and as soon as steven did that i was like huh and then when i learned <laughs> it was animated by the same guy i was like yes i knew it and it's it's just a huge flex because animation's hard as fuck yeah. but if you're doing it right you don't notice <laughs> anyway we're well Basically, off topic but craft is an incredibly cool thing and it's always impressive when someone is so good at their shit that you can like watch the pieces and still enjoy the final product uh, but to to mm. jump onto something completely different uh this question mm -hmm. comes from lady katie to red i recently started watching leverage because you recommended it in trope talks and now i've got my whole family hooked problem nice. is now i have no one to talk about how much i love it with because they just started it at episode one any advice for what to do when you desperately want to talk about a show but have no one to talk about it with P.S. You're totally right. Elliot's the best. Um, yes. So to broaden oh. the question, like you want to, you love something, you want to talk about it with people, but you don't have any immediate source of uh, rambling nonsense places to go to. What's your move? Well, you play the long con where you establish a YouTube channel <laughs> that gives you an outlet for these things and let your audience self-select so you're not inflicting it on your hapless friends and family. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Fair. Um, like the thing is, I've found that there's a few different approaches. My favorite strategy is to just talk about it anyway. Because the number one way that I get people invested in a story is by being like, oh, they do this really cool bit. And then I explain just enough story to be like, here's the setup you need to know for why this moment is powerful. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, like, this wasn't even, like, I didn't come up with this pro strategy. Half the shows I watch are because I've had conversations with my dad that are exactly like that. That's why I watched Leverage is because my dad was like, yeah, there was this fun heist show and it had this 
this really interesting like protagonist uh, who because we were we were just discussing how you know writing in in shows goes and he was talking about how there's this frustrating thing in a lot of long form storytelling where like characters who are kind of like defined by single flaws often don't ever get to make meaningful progress in correcting for those flaws and in leverage the main character Nate is an alcoholic and this goes through changes over the course of the season so like first season he's real bad and then second season he's like trying to stay sober but he fucks it up and like it just kind of keeps going like that and my dad was like yeah it's interesting that this character never quite really gets to get over this flaw while a lot of the side characters and the secondary characters do because they aren't as central to the plot so they're actually allowed to meaningfully improve and i was like yeah that sounds interesting and then i kind of on a whim watched one of the episodes and i was like oh no i need to watch the entire rest of this show like so the thing is you can have conversations with people about shows they haven't seen. It just, mm-hmm. you know, you you need to you need to gauge how okay they are <laughs> with having that conversation because some things they don't need to have watched for you to explain why this mm-hmm. is cool. Um, one of my favorite pastimes is discussing various Star Trek series with people who have only watched like one or two Star Treks and being like, yeah, this one does some interesting stuff with this character. Like when you guys were like, when Indigo was like, hey, you should watch DS9. They do some great stuff with Worf. It's because I was like, TNG is great. I wish they treated Worf better. <laughs> um, it's so, good to see the boy have a good day sometimes or a bad day yeah, I mean, and he handles uh, really, really fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, the thing is, there's if the trope talks have proved anything to me, it's that you can talk about elements of storytelling and elements of specific stories without going super into the weeds about like what makes this story very specifically yeah. work. And half the time, the fun is not about like, oh, this show is so good, it does this and this and this. The fun is you being like, I love what they do with yeah. this moment. Like, this is so powerful. I thought they handled it really well. Or, like, they did four seasons of build-up just for this one gunfight, and when it hits, you're like, wow, that's such good payoff. And someone doesn't need to have watched the show to get why that's powerful. But if they have your analysis and then watch the show, they can be like, oh, yeah, I see what you mean, because you mentioned that they were building up to this moment, so, like, now I can kind of see how they're planting it along the way. Uh, I guess the short answer is just, like, you know, test the waters like don't talk somebody's ear off on something they're definitely not interested in i have done that before so many times i'm sorry oh it's fine (laughs) um but the thing is there are ways to talk about this that are interesting for both parties uh and if you're kind of you kind of need to be able to gauge like i'm going too deep into this and the person i'm talking to is kind of glazed over a little bit yeah yeah but you can also be like yeah that they did this one really powerful moment like you kind of have to gauge like how much backstory can i explain to this person Without, you know, <laughs> without breaking their brain, where it's like they, they did this powerful moment where this character was trying very hard to do this thing that was impossible for them. Like, OK, cool. And then you're like, but you see, it's powerful because two and a half seasons prior, he'd had the exact same experience when he was doing this complicated thing. It's like, OK, 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 slow your <laughs> How much of this is interesting to somebody who doesn't know what's going on? Yeah, <laughs> that's that's something I've also learned in trying to, like, explain, like, an interesting history thing that I learned or just talk about something in general or like. In the instances where I have been, like, in a place mm-hmm. with friends who have not studied this, like, when we all went to Iceland and I had to give, uh-huh. like, a, a quick five-minute history lesson on why Hallgrimskirke is interesting, um, there is a skill in understanding, Red, exactly what you said, like, how to give the right amount of context to make it make sense without just, like, dunking someone in a bath of backstory that takes forever mm-hmm. and still leaves them feeling lost because now they have so much information they don't even know what to grab onto exactly. to understand mm-hmm. the actual point of the thing you're trying to tell them. Also, yeah. just, so, like, yeah. as a general note, if your family is watching the show and maybe they care about being surprised by things, they're not the target audience for these conversations until they've yeah. caught up to yeah. you. Uh, I, yeah. I personally don't care about spoilers, but a lot of people do. So just, like, give a little check-in. It's yeah, it's like a patience thing because you're in an ideal scenario where you've gotten your family into yeah, this thing and you can game. experience it mm-hmm, with them, mm-hmm. even watching it with them if you choose, and be able to share that moment together and see their reactions as it's happening or hear what they latch onto. So be be willing to be patient because having them go through that and be there as they are experiencing it is is very exciting and very rare treat. Yeah. So um, be willing to wait. Because it is it is very worth it in its own right. Absolutely. And if you if you have the ability to, if you want to watch it alongside them, you could absolutely do that. Um, you don't you certainly don't have to, but like if you're in the same place or you have time, because you've already seen it, 
you can just jump in wherever they're at and be yeah. like, oh, I remember this episode. This is so fun. Or, you know, if you haven't rewatched it yet, you might be like, I didn't realize that this was setting up this thing they do later. You know, things like that. So yeah. there's tons of ways that you can specifically engage with it. But if you really want to scratch that itch of like, what are people saying about this? I want to talk to them about mm-hmm. this. Uh, that that one's harder. Um, I have sometimes found that like, it can just be worth just a quick, you know, morbid curiosity. If you do a quick Tumblr search for the name of the thing, you will get like gift sets and analysis and, you know, a lot of other people who've got the exact same level of brain rot that you might be cultivating. And, <laughs> and it's, it's good to, it's a good way to scratch that itch without, you know, inflicting it on any hapless friends and loved ones. Yeah. Basically, there's a lot of ways to engage with media you like. Glad that you've uh, enjoyed the show on Red's recommendation and uh, have fun chatting about it with whoever you can find. Um, yeah. This next question comes from Decaphosphere to all, and this question is timely and meme-related and mostly directed at Blue. Uh, how often do you think about the Roman Empire? Oh, God damn it! Yep, uh, I, I posted an Instagram reel about this, which may be the first and last time I, I ever engage with Instagram reels. But um, I was so the... surprised when I saw a notification that OSP has posted like, an Instagram what? reel. Yeah, when you linked it to me, I was like, huh, <laughs> I forgot we could use that. What are you doing? Yeah, um, because it is, it, it's fundamentally constant. I joked in that reel that it's it's the substrate of my fucking consciousness, because on one level. Everything that I'm doing professionally has some variety of a tie by virtue of the fact that it is me thinking about history. Is there some relationship to the Roman Empire? Every European society, every Mediterranean society has some immediate relevant link just by virtue of it's the same place. They're in the same cultural soup. There's no way that I can escape that. So I, I joked like, yeah, I think about it for about like seven hours straight professionally <laughs> and then twice or three times a day in my free time. So mm-hmm. it, it, it's truly constant. And it's it's fun to hear this, this like finally a TikTok trend for him. Um, <laughs> like this is the, <laughs> the one time I was ever tempted to jump into this kind of internet discourse. God. Whereas normally I'm like, nope, get me out of that. Um, I will stay far away, thank you. Everyone can have their fun. But it's it, it's fun to see the ways in which different people find it interesting and like what people are intrigued by. Because, you know, you get like, oh, gladiators, the Roman army and stuff. And some people are like, yeah, like fucking concrete, man. Like, holy shit. Or like the, the Colosseum or the the art, the, the the visual style, the the idea of this this place, this society that like everything else in Europe on some level and in the Mediterranean as a whole, and on some level is built on, mm. like most of the cities in Europe exist because those were Roman cities. Most of the cities in North Africa and the Levant exist because, well, no, those those places were there first. Yes. Um, <laughs> but well, exist in the same places as Roman cities that yes. were, you know, yeah, exactly. Um, but it's it is everywhere. Uh, it's inescapable. Yeah. So I'm I'm so rarely not thinking about it. Something something. All roads lead to Rome. Yeah. I always get suspicious whenever there's an unnecessarily gendered meme going around. Uh, like like when when girl math was alive for uh-huh. like a like a couple weeks before getting stomped into the dirt. But then then I run into something like this where I'm like. Look, the reason why I don't think about the Roman Empire has absolutely nothing to do with the fact that I'm a girl. It has everything to do with the fact that history has never interested me on this level. And I think that Rome is one of the least interesting, like, because Rome, it's just overexposure. It's pop culture overexposure. overexposure, Rome is the thing that every fantasy story bases their first empire on. And it's like, yeah, yeah, the the generic... you know, leather kilted helmet guys with the crests. We've all seen them. So <laughs> every time one of these things runs up, I'm like, do I need to like, like prove that gender stereotypes are bullshit by pretending like I'm interested in Rome? <laughs> or can I be true to myself and say, fuck it, this is nerd shit? <laughs> yeah. On, on one level, what I've seen is like, wow, a lot of the things that people find most immediately like captivating and iconic about Rome are the things that I find absolutely the least interesting. I do not give a single solitary fuck about gladiators. They are boring. Uh, (laughs) People just like Bloodsport and Coliseums. Yeah. Yeah. The Coliseum is great. Gladiators are stupid. Mm -hmm. The movie Gladiator is good, in spite of the fact that it is about gladiators. (laughs) For more on that, check out the movie struck episode on Gladiators. In which Blue has been the only person to ever have significant enough tech troubles to require me to use the backup audio recording because he named his file the entire I am Despus Maximus Maximus speech 
Uh, but we're not going to make fun of him again for that. Uh, instead, we'll move right along to the next question. This one comes from Ada, uh, backslash occasionally sarcastic. To all, as a sort of follow-up to the pedestrian fair question, what is your most protagonisty quality? Oh, okay, oh, no. here we go. <laughs> Um, Tell us why you're not I like other girls, you know? just save my voice and call it a day? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about you, Blue? Oh, man. Uh, at a younger age, I thought my hair was my most protagonisty feature. It's pretty protagonistic. It's, it's pretty poofy. Yeah, it's good. I'm, I'm less vain than I was at that point in my life, so I, I probably would... Um, would adjust down to like my library setup is probably pretty protagonisty because mm. it's extremely extra. Mm. But I am extremely <sighs> fond of the power of friendship uh, and yeah. going on quests with my buds. Um, and the fact that I've managed to construct a life where I can actually do that sometimes yeah. is very cool for me. <laughs> Probably all the sword fighting for you, right? Sword fighting is pretty yeah, protagonistic. Just, just casually yeah. being able to fence. Yeah, having bit. met my wife sword fighting after getting my ass beat. Yeah, <laughs> I, I've got a mental tier list for how cute the uh, story of how my various coupled friends have met, uh, and you guys are S rank. Um, Fuck yeah. Yeah, the other end of the bell curve is defined by the friends of mine who met in an alphabetized line. Um, anyway. <laughs> Which, like, it loops around to also being iconic it's in its pretty own cute, way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's the most mundane, yet extremely iconic. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, mine's probably my dead mom, right? That seems like an oh. easy <laughs> Jesus Christ, Indigo. <laughs> You're your own I'm allowed person. to make a joke. <laughs> I mean, fuck, we can't it's stop you, but like, tragedy. shit. We're all from such different genres. We've got Disney protagonist, <laughs> anime hero. Yeah, what what magical powers are you gonna get uh, on your seventeenth birthday? <laughs> Ooh, do I get to pick, or does it just like happen? Yeah. Well, traditionally, it just happens. But yeah. Uh, she was a tour guide, so like I don't know. I'm really, I can identify uh, murals in the city of Philadelphia really easily. <laughs> Some of them have bricks painted to look like the wall behind them. You should check out Mural Philly. It's a great uh, organization. But um, yeah, we raised money for them. Yeah, That's, yeah. yeah, they're great. Yeah, they're great. Ziggy, get out of here. Oh my god. <laughs> Magenta and I have a running gag where we keep like because we run in very different internet circles. Uh, and we before uh she did her TTRPG thing for our channel we were sort of joking that like the various circles we're in would be like wait that's your sister because of like how very different the vibes are like um, literally arcane like <laughs> jinx and vi <laughs> levels of like opposite ends of like God. vi being like the fucking piltover police boss God. where jinx is like down in the trenches of zod i, I think the <laughs> phrase i used was like down in the ttrpg transbian mafia or whatever <laughs> uh and the, but the but the running gag is that we each pretend that we are the bad guy in this dynamic <laughs> Uh, where, so like, cause, cause Magenta loves the villain vibe. She loves being like, ha ha, you fool. You think you understand my machinations. But I also, I, I keep being like, dude, I'm coming at this from a position of enormous privilege. I'm obviously the bad guy and you're the cool <laughs> underdog. And she's like, no. So anyway, that, that's our favorite bit right now. Yeah. Um, as the so I think having a, having a very different and yet still identifiably my sister sister is my favorite protagonist trait. Good. There's queer coded villains and then villain coded no. <laughs> oh God! Every time I'm like, hey, you want to look at some dresses? I'll just like clock the most vampire looking thing on the page and be like, this one. <laughs> She's like, yes. Nice. So. Like, fuck you, but also yes. <laughs> well, more like, I'll, I'll be like, oh, no, I can't show you this because you'll use it irresponsibly. And she'll be like, what? And then she'll be like, oh, no. So It's fun uh, to have that power. My brother's, uh, yes. my youngest brother, who is studying to become like a marine operations deck crew captain guy, uh, does steal flannels from me occasionally. But that's about the limit of costume sharing that goes on in the... Uh, Indigo household. <laughs> Isn't your brother like a, a, a knight of the Order of the Northern Wind or some oh, Arctic, yeah. bullshit? When you, Arctic bullshit? <laughs> when you cross over the Arctic Circle and you're on a boat, uh, he he uh, is in uh, Marine Operations uh, College degree program. And last summer, or not last summer, but the summer before, he 
sailed uh, on their training ship and part of the route they went crossed over the Arctic Circle. And when you cross over the Arctic Circle, there's a little like, I want to say like a hazing ceremony, basically, where a different crewman on the ship who has already crossed over the Arctic Circle, like makes you do a little like little walk around the ship and like wear a funny costume and shit like that. Uh, and at the end of it, you get like recognized by Boreas Rex, King of the North, and you get a little yeah. like, it looks like a Costco card, but it is, it's uh, on it in like half old English, half completely normal writing is like, we recognize this sailor as a, <laughs> as a, uh, is recognized by Boreas Rex, King of the North, and he is granted passage across the seven seas or whatever. And it's just very like neat little, I love the little sailing traditions and stuff he tells yeah. me about. He's looking to work in like cargo ships and stuff. So maybe not quite the, uh, vision of <laughs> old sailing ships that you might have in your mind, but it's nice to see that the traditions have continued. So that's probably yeah. his most protagonist trait. <laughs> <laughs> knighted by Boreas knighted Rex, by Boreas Rex. Yeah, that's, that's up there. Yeah, um, but to, to... oh, I have a tendency to stare contemplatively at the horizon or the sky. That feels kind of protagonisty. <laughs> you do like to do look that. at the stars. Very Jupiter yeah. ascending yeah. of yeah. you. Oh come on! <laughs> of all the things, <laughs> you made me watch it. <laughs> yeah, yeah you, you gave this to her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you forced this to live in my brain forever. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did do that. <laughs> uh, but let's move on to another question here before we take the show out. Uh, this one comes from a myriad of stars, parentheses, Hazel. To all, when you were in high school and college, what color folders and notebooks did you assign for what class? For example, science is green, math is red, history is blue, etc. Mm -hmm. So Math is red. Math is red. Math is red. I have a different answer for that. Because <gasps> I took Chinese as my like second language class, and that always got red. So red was out mm -hmm. of the running immediately. Got it. And math would usually be like black for me. I think I think I did like math red and then like social studies or English blue and then everything else like green mm -hmm. or yellow was for whatever else I had left. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had, gosh, I think it was different in in college and high school because I had like a different class structure. But math red, science green. I want to say like history was blue, English was black, hmm. and like when I was taking Latin in high school, that was. Yellow? No, because Latin was blue for a while. Well, I mean, it also depended the on the year. Was English. English might have ah, been blue. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I was definitely like basic bitch, like math red, mm -hmm. uh, science green. And then the other three were basically at the whim of whatever assortment of classes. Because like in college, I didn't have like a split C's like history versus English. It was all just like various humanities Ooh. stuff. Yeah. So it was like, all right, well, I don't have a math class anymore, so this Augustus class is red. Let's <laughs> go. So it broke down pretty swiftly in college yeah. when I had a new setup every time. I also remember, man, the allure of new school supplies oh, was man. truly Every time I walk I... into a Target or a Walmart, as a 25-year-old woman, I walk yep. into the school supply section and I think, I could get a couple notebooks. I don't have, <laughs> I don't write anything on paper. I have one planner and that's it. But, uh, it's so tempting. But uh, for me, it was second language Chinese was red, math was black. Um, I want to say history was like green. No, history was blue, science was green. English would be like yellow or pink, depending on the color available at any given time. Um, and I think that that's all of the school subjects, but don't quote me on that. And then by the time I got to college, half my classes were Chinese and half my classes were film, and it just it yeah. became a free for all. I do remember one year when we got folders, I was like, oh my God, can we please get these shiny plastic galaxy <laughs> printed folders? I love them and I want to have them. And so I had those for years. So like, nice. like sometimes it was solid colors, but sometimes it would just be like, yes, yeah. so pretty. I used to get so, I, and to this day I still do, except now I've like found a system of like, the thing for young indigo was pens. Like I want to have mm. the, not the best looking, but just like, the flowiest writing, the least smudging, the nicest ink pens that I could get at, you know, your Target or your Walmart section on sale in all likelihood. Um, and now as an adult, after having studied abroad in China, I did find one brand of pen that comes in blue and black that I exclusively use because I think it is the best pen in creation and you can get a box from like 50 of them on Amazon for like 10 bucks. But man, do I love these pens. <laughs> Perfect. And this is how I try to scratch that itch. But yeah, that was, I, yeah. yeah. If only. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we got time for, I think, one more question here before we take it on out of the podcast. Uh, we'll throw, a, throw one to our, our ace members of the podcast. This one comes from your local space cryptid, two red and blue. 
Are there any ace characters in fiction you think did a particularly good job at portraying asexuality? Oh, that's so fun because until recently, I would have been like, well, Jughead is the only one. Um, Oh, God. They couldn't even give us that in Riverdale. No. It's fine. I had no expectations for Riverdale. It's dead now, which is cool. Um, uh, Let's see. It, it really does feel like a lot of it is kind of relegated to assumption or, yeah. like, general principle. I got to say, I really appreciate that Luffy in One Piece is, like, yeah, canonically mm-hmm. so ace that he's immune to, like, love-based powers. I think it's that's cute. the only case I've ever seen where a character isn't just like, oh, they're just not in a relationship right now. It's like this character has the power to make anybody attracted to women madly in love with her. And Luffy's just like, what? <laughs> so... That automatically makes me like it a lot. Um, but then there's there's so many cases where I've been like, this character never has a romantic interest, and I think that's really cool. And then that, like they're they're just kind of doing their own thing, or like they're they might even have an episode where a character's like, I'm here to seduce this character, and it just doesn't work. And then like in Samurai Jack season five, oh, <laughs> they'll be like, finally we can put in all the sex and violence that uh... we've been craving this whole time. <laughs> Jack is straight now, and I was like, fuck. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. I also like it when it's, like, allegorical, like in Steven Universe with Peridot, who is, like, just not interested in fusing, which is a shame because, like, it's kind of cool to be like, oh, boy, whenever you fuse, you turn into a new character, and I want to see all the new characters that can happen, and then Peridot's just not into it, and I was like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I think they they even did, like, a book that was basically, like, like an allegorical explanation of, like, some people are interested in fusing with only one person. Some people... Don't mind that. Some people want to fuse forever. And some people don't fuse at all. And it's just Peridot and everyone's giving her thumbs up. And I was like, cool, okay. <laughs> I think that's cute. I am struggling so much to, like, think of Any... ace characters. Yeah. Are we, does wishful thinking count? Uh. <laughs> does projecting count? Um, the thing is, I know they exist. It's like, I... There's Princess Entrapta, I feel like, She has maybe... vibes, but then she and Hordak kind of have a thing. Oh, that, she, well, is yeah. she ace or is she just purple? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, that's a tricky one. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, this is the eternal problem because, like, I I think a lot of people sort of initially just assume this character is like me until demonstrated otherwise. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of stories, it's like, oh, romance is not at the forefront. You just get characters that, or, or like especially in like kids' media, where most characters are not going to express or acknowledge the existence of sexual attraction in general. It's like, okay, yeah, these characters are friends. They're all hanging out with each other. Nothing else is going to like come up. But, you know, the way you read that as like, yeah, the default state of existence is not going to be the same as, like, yeah. someone mm-hmm. else is like, I'm going to assume every single person on this screen is straight, you know, whatever, for some reason. Actually, you know what I can do? I can give a, I can give a very um, far in advance tease of a project that will be coming next year. Uh, I accidentally uh, wrote <laughs> um, a pair of ace protagonists in a story <laughs> that you'll all be able to see next year. Um, I wrote it in college before I'd figure this out, and I'm like, do I need to give them, like, romantic interests? No, that's not important to the story. Great, cool, I can focus on what matters, which is, like, the core drama uh, at hand. And then only afterwards I realized, like, oh, wait, shit. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> I remember this conversation. So those two, mm-hmm. check back in a year when I can talk about it more. Yes, yeah, good. Oh, gosh. Yeah, yeah, sorry, I wish we had a more fun answer for this one, but... uh in a lot of stories, you just kind of have to assume based on the actions of the character. And mm-hmm. because a lot of people erroneously believe that Ace is the the, the default, the zero value, the, the, the neutral state of existence, there's a ton of characters out there where we're like, that makes sense. And then they do something that doesn't make any sense considering their free- previous action. And we're like, oh, no, they were supposed to be this orientation the entire time, but this never came up before. <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. cool. So it, it's a little bit tough because... With a lot of characters, it's like, this character has only ever expressed attraction to these people, so we can infer that they are, you know, this orientation or that orientation. I remember the moment when I was like, oh, shit, the way a character acts is supposed to inform how we read their orientation. Like, if they are, if they act as though they are interested in these people, we're supposed to be like, oh, they're probably interested in this group of people. 
it, this is a weird fucking thing to say, but like <laughs> it, it, I was so used to this making no sense to me. I was so used to it being like, these characters might never ever act like they even like each other. And then they will be mashing faces and declaring their undying love and the universe will align to say that they are soulmates. And I'll be like, cool, that has no bearing on their characterization. It seems like it's just something that was inflicted on them. And then some, at some point I was like, hey, wait a fucking second. We're supposed to actually be able to infer things about this character's orientation based on how they act towards the people around them. And if they're like, I find this character pretty, we're supposed to read that as I find this character attractive and infer mm. from there, which is not at all how I had been reading that stuff. So I was constantly getting blindsided by obligatory heteroromantic subplots. And yeah. I was like, well, yeah, anyway, so. Yeah, no, I think it gets into the really interesting space of like, not every story needs to explicitly say every single fact about every single character in order to still be a good story and create compelling... Oh, yeah. Red, please. Sorry. sorry. I, I don't want to talk over the two ace members of the podcast talking about ace characters. No, no, no. Like, please you're, do. You're absolutely right. But I, I finally remembered one that I actually really liked. So there's this manga called Dungeon Meshi. It's getting an anime adaptation. Uh, the premise being the group of adventurers is kind of a standard D&D &D style fantasy party, you know, various fantasy races, mm -hmm. uh, adventuring into a dungeon. They have to really quick go back in because they, they kind of get TPK'd uh, temporarily. Death is temporary in the dungeon. Uh, and one of their members gets eaten by a dragon and they're like, we have to go in and get her uh, so we can get her back and like resurrect her uh, before it's too late. And we don't have time or money to buy supplies, so we're going to just cook and eat stuff we find in the dungeon. And that's the entire premise. Dungeon Meshi has been translated as delicious in Dungeon, which is a terrible name. One of the characters that they encounter is this, like, cat girl beast man. And when I say cat girl, I don't mean horny anime shit. I mean, this is basically what would happen if a cat was also a person. She's a very picky eater. She is an absolute chaos goblin. And there is an... There's a there's a chapter where they deal with succubi, which basically take the form of whatever that person is most attracted to, and she is immune to them canonically because she is like uh, she she's got a person soul and a cat soul, and the tastes of the person soul don't align with the cat, and the tastes of the cat soul don't align with the person. <laughs> and but when they're talking about like the succubi are irresistible, we have to fight them in pairs so that one person can defeat them. And she's like, well, I don't really like anybody, so I think I'll be fine. And they're like, no, you don't understand. And then she's fine. <laughs> so wow. this character, she's the best. That's great. Right. Yeah. Uh, the funny thing is the succubi, like, one of them takes the form of, like, an attractive humanoid, and then she fucking kills it. And then one of them takes the form of a big sexy panther, and she fucking kills it. And she's like, why is it a panther? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, all right, cat side, you've got interesting taste. And then just moves on with her life. I love this character. That's good. Yeah. All right. Well, with but that... Indigo, you were, you were speaking yes. for all aces. I <laughs> yeah, want to let you continue what you were saying. <laughs> I would never presume to do so. I don't want to speak for any identities that I am not. Uh, but I do think it's interesting when you get into the space of, you know, when a, when a story does not explicitly tell you something about a character, there's a lot of room for fans and fandom in particular to then headcanon or make assumptions. And sometimes it can be very easy for fans to be like, well, I so many of us think that surely it must be true. And then if the text later says something that is different, it can be frustrating mm -hmm. to deal with. And I... I think it's such an interesting space because it is in many ways a very modern one to jump into because the way that oh, fandom yeah. engages has changed dramatically with the advent of the internet. Um, and I think it's, I think it's great. Like I kind of take the, my personal thing is like, I take the Luke Skywalker approach, the, the, uh, the <laughs> why can't I Mark Hamill approach to uh, how people should engage the character. Cause like people will tweet at him and say, is Luke gay? And Mark Hamill's like, I don't know if you think he's gay, he can be gay. That's totally rad. I think that that's the right approach to take generally of like, you can headcanon whatever you want. Um, Luke is one of the examples of, oh, a character with no canon romance ever, except in the expanded universe, which is no longer canon. Yeah. Tons of people are like, this, this little farm boy, he's absolutely gay slash ace slash yada, yada, yada. But mm -hmm. like, I who that. knows? I like the weird ace. Yeah. yeah. Um, Could have been anything. And I think that well. it's a great space to to you know get to play around with. I just think it's also important to be like, hey, if a text later contradicts something, don't go raging against the text unless it is being actively hateful or hurtful. Don't yeah. go raging against the text for saying that your your fave is not X thing because I think it's incredibly mm -hmm. cool to have characters to relate to, and it's very frustrating that up until fairly recently there have not been a lot of like LGBTQIA characters for people yeah. to canonically relate to. So it's important to have yeah. the ability to relate to characters who are not uh confirmed to be something like luffy for example like 
it's mm-hmm. very fun that there's a lot of text evidence to be like, yeah, he's a nice character. Never explicitly confirmed or anything. And as long as it continues to not contradict it, totally, you know, even if it did, the text did contradict it later. Still a great, like, headcanon thing, um, but not something yeah. that you would be, it would be fair to get mad yeah. at <clears throat> one I piece necessarily for. I don't know. I'm starting to ramble about things that I don't, I don't no, have no, any no, the, reason to talk about. Please, please get me off. <laughs> well, the thing is, you're right. It's just, I, I think there is a, there's an interesting, almost, like, leg up when it comes to literary analysis if you are ace or mm-hmm. otherwise, like, if you're not straight, you're going to come into a story with a set of expectations that the writer probably was not expecting you to have, mm-hmm. which means you can sometimes more easily identify like, oh, this actually did come out of nowhere. Like these characters don't even like each other. And now they're like yeah. acting like they are destined mm-hmm. partners. Because the thing is, if you're it's kind of like wearing like tinted glasses, you know, where it's like if you're wearing like straight tinted glasses, it's like that is man and that woman. They must be there for to do the sex. <laughs> and like if, if you just like infer that that is happening, the writer doesn't need to ever show it. You just assume like for you see they are the both conventionally attractive. So they must therefore be mashing bodies together. Yeah. Every character <laughs> secretly has a background Excel spreadsheet of exactly who they're fucking with. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the thing is, like, that means that the writer's like, I can I don't need to fucking talk about that. We all know that you can never have a man and a woman who are just friends with each other and do not want to bone. That would be so weird because clearly the value of a person is entirely determined by how much you want to do the sex on them. And then, like, you're, you're reading that. And you're like, <laughs> sorry. So you're reading that. And you're like, all right, where the fuck did this come from? But if you if you have the same, you know, colored lenses on, you're like, yeah, this makes sense. I see what's happening here. Before you see, they shared a conversation and looked at each other's eyes for more than three seconds, and therefore. Uh, but, you know, if you're any other orientation and you're just reading how they're actually interacting on the page, it's like, all right, these guys don't like each other. This guy thinks about her boobs more than I expected her to, him to, whatever. And then it kind of goes from there. And then you're like, oh, oh, that's what we're doing. Okay, so it's essentially... Yeah. It makes it easier to spot bad writing in a lot of cases because there there are a set of agreed upon conventions that we that, that a lot of writers kind of assume the audience will automatically have and if you don't automatically have those you will spot the holes in the writing that are covered over by this yeah. essentially f- perception filter uh, and if you come at this from the perspective of being ace or arrow or anything like that and you just kind of don't automatically infer that a romantic or sexual relationship is desired between any two sets of these characters of you know theoretically compatible uh, genders and orientations you're kind of just going to be like how are they acting towards each other seems like they like each other enough or it seems like they kind of fucking hate each other it's interesting and then stuff will just happen and you'll be like oh did that make sense hold on let me go back and sometimes you'll be like oh yeah i see it they kind of like they're admiring each other you know their skill in battle whatever but a lot of times you're like mm, no this is weird <laughs> this is weird and i didn't know that was happening under the hood the whole time um if it makes I you feel any better wanted to believe yeah Please. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, if it makes you feel any better, sometimes the allosexuals among us can also be like, where the fuck did this come from? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's so right. Every, <laughs> every time I talk about the ace perspective, I have to make inferences about a thing I will never understand and be like, well, you know how you experience this? I've been told. <laughs> I don't do that. And then people will be like, well, I don't experience exactly that. And I'm like, don't make me start from zero again, man. It's taken me this long to get this far. Uh, Blue, there was a you point were in time say when I wanted to... I- believe oh, yeah. that Obi-Wan could be an ace character, but unfortunately he fucks in canon. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Satine. Oh, Satine. Uh, but we are coming up on uh, time for the podcast. We ran a little long. Uh, everyone can be who they are, and it's fun if your characters can if you relate to your character. That's great. Uh, Red, can you take us out? Yeah. <laughs> my foot anymore in my mouth? <laughs> yes, yes, roger that. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with another exciting installment of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. If you are a patron, or if you just want to become a patron, you know, mm-hmm. any tier will do. Uh, we are about to hang out for another half hour to Good record point. the After After Show show, or the ass, as I call it. Uh, and It's uh, a long A vowel sound, specifically. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh. Yeah, we, we could have called it anything, and we chose to call it that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I think that about covers it. We don't have any fancy announcements for, for the immediate future. So, until next time, I've been Red. I've been Blue. And this has been an Overly Sarcastic Podcast. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. We'll be back on October 11th with another thrilling installment, but if you miss us before then, be sure to check out Overly Sarcastic Productions on YouTube. Got a question for the pod? Head over to Ask OS Pod on Discord for a chance for your question to be featured in a future episode. 
If you enjoyed the show, please rate us and leave a review on your preferred podcast platform. And if you really enjoyed the show, consider becoming a patron. Links to all that and more can be found in the show notes below.